Good morning. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church today. We will be celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of our service today. Let's begin by entering into prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your blessings and gifts. We thank you for who you are. You are all powerful and righteous and loving and eternal life itself. We thank you, Father, also that you sent us your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. We thank you, Father, that you raised him from the dead on the third day. And that was victory over death for him and for us. We also thank you, Father, for the word that is living and powerful, that transforms our hearts and our lives. We thank you, too, Father, for God the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We ask today for the Holy Spirit may guide and direct all the goings on here. We want to pray this morning, Father, for the church around the world. Also, Father, I want to pray for our country today, the United States. We would pray that you would protect the persecuted church and that you'd heal the wounds in our nation. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Well, hello again. Long time no see. Once again, as I announced just a little few minutes ago, at the end of service today, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper, bringing into remembrance the death of the Lord until he comes. This uh, month of July, our missionary that we're going to um, focus on is Pastor Kingsley Amaniki. Uh, he's been here before. Um, he uh, has a great ministry in Nigeria and e- in East Africa. Um, he moved to Edmonton, Ontario, Ontario, no, Edmonton, thank you, Alberta, a few years back. Um, he, uh, I don't know if he's going to be able to fulfill his desired plans for the year because of the travel bans and so forth, but he'd like to get back to Nigeria, he'd like to go to Zambia, Zambia, and he'd also like to come back to South Florida. As a matter of fact, I uh, emailed him yesterday and I asked him if there were anything he would like to mention to the congregation. And this is what he wrote. We would like to tell you that my family and I are eager to move over to South Florida and be fully integrated into your congregation. I truly want to sit under your ministry. We are indeed tired of dwelling under extreme cold weather in Canada. I'm not sure which of those motivations is the greater, but I don't care. I can relate to both of them. Although right now I, I could get used to a little cold weather for a little while. But anyway. All righty. So this morning, uh, once again, I want to remind everybody that uh, we are still under the pandemic. I guess they're calling it of COVID-19. And we still want to remind everybody to take the proper precautions. And I know you're, you're all doing that six, six feet apart. Wear a mask, except when you're seated. And uh, if you are feeling any uh, illness in any way, please stay home. Watch us on the internet. If you're elderly uh, and and or you have some underlying conditions that would put you at greater risk, um, you are again welcome to stay at home. And again, watch us on the internet because we're celebrating the Lord's Supper today. If you are watching us on the internet, just remember that you can take anything, any kind of bread in particular, um, any kind of drink, except wine itself, because it's before noontime, but anything else, and you can celebrate along with us, so that you're part of us, though you may not be able to come physically today. All right, the title for today's message is, Death is Swallowed Up in Victory. Death is Swallowed Up in Victory. Something as fearful and evil as death will one day be swallowed up, swallowed up like the giant fish swallowed up Jonah in victory. This will be a complete victory over death. We're going to see what that's all about today, and I'd like you at this time to please turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50. Picking up where we left off last week. I don't know whether you noticed, but we always pick up where we left off last week, if you notice. Yeah, we're going through this, this book. We're almost finished. First Corinthians, um, verse by verse, from the start to the finish. And uh, 
It's a great way, probably the only way really to study a book um, because you get, you get in depth and you see how it all relates. Paul wrote this as one complete letter and when you go verse by verse, you can, you can kind of get the, the flow of it and you can see where it builds up to a crescendo. That's this, this passage today and tomorrow, tomorrow, today and next Sunday are really the, 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 the apex, the climax of the book. And we're going to see why that is. Probably can already guess. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we who remain alive will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. As I just mentioned, this passage delivers the climax for the subject of chapter 15, the resurrection of the dead. As a matter of fact, it's also the climax of this book, which all the different places Paul has taken, all the different things that Paul had to address and confront the Corinthians with, all the great teaching we've already seen on love and all the other things that Paul deals with, marriage. And yet now he's going to bring it all to a climax. He's going to say, here's really the perspective that you ought to have on your life. That's why at the very end, the last verse, is taking that into our daily lives where it would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's the climax of this chapter in this book. Now we read today, verses 50 through 58, and that's one unit, okay? However, it's so rich. There's so much here that we're going to take two weeks on this passage. Maybe more. We'll have to see. It's funny because uh, originally, you know, when I was planning the message, I figured we'd go right through verse 58. Then as I started putting it together, I realized that, you know, there's too much that we need to draw out of this to do it that way. So we're going to go in two pieces. Then uh, yesterday... I said, wow, might, this might be three weeks. I don't know. We'll have to see how far we get. In any event, we're not in a hurry, especially with this subject, especially with today and all of the difficulty and all of the challenges that we face and all of the, all the heartache and the troubles. And, and that's true of life at any age, of course. But in particular, you know, what we face this year with a, with, a, with a virus that is a killer virus, with the riots and the different things that are going on, the unrest in our country, boy, is it really a comfort to know that at the end, we will be raised imperishable. We'll have a body like the Lord's. Death will be defeated completely. That's a comfort. And that's why we should take our time. And, and really, you know, suck the marrow, as it were, out of this chapter and this passage in particular. All right, what I'd like to do is give you a brief, since we're not going to get through the whole passage today, I want to at least give you an overview, of, uh, you know, kind of a statement on each verse so that you can kind of see the overall um, message, the overall teaching here. Verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Here, Paul first summarizes the previous material where he talked about the difference between the earthly body and the heavenly body. And here he's drawing it to a conclusion where he uses that word inherit. The flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
And by the way, his, what he says here is very interesting, is exactly what the Corinthians skeptics were saying. They were saying, how can flesh and blood inherit the heavenly kingdom of God? Come on. How can something perishable inherit the imperishable? See, that was their argument. It was widely held among the Corinthians. It's impossible for flesh and blood to inherit the eternal kingdom of God. Well, you know, with man, it is impossible. But with who? All things are possible, right? And we're going to see that. Because verse 51 answers a key question. So far, he's been talking about the dead and the resurrection of the dead. But here, he's going to now shift and answer the question, what about those who are alive when the dead are raised? What about them? Are they just going to be stuck in an earthly body because they didn't die and weren't able to be raised from the dead? Well, he introduces that word in verse 52, mystery. Mystery. He's going to answer the question by pointing out a mystery that they had not seen yet and had not been revealed yet until Paul wrote this letter. And that is going to demolish the claims of the skeptics when he reveals what that mystery is. Of course, we see it here. So, so here, after verses 50 and 51, I hope you see how rich this passage really, really is. Verse 52, in a moment, I love this imagery. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. I want you to notice that he takes this event of the resurrection and he places it in time, but in a very specific Thing that he talks about, and that is the last trumpet. So that begs the question, what is the last trumpet? When's that going to happen? He's going to answer that. And basically he's going to tell us that that last trumpet will end the church age. It will end the church age. Okay, there are other trumpets in the Bible, but this one is the end of the church age. Then he moves on in verses 53 and 54a, where he talks about things being put on. For the perishable must put on the imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. And he's bringing forth the image of putting on clothing. He's used several images already to try to get across this amazing mystery of being raised from the dead. Of becoming from an earthly body to a heavenly body. He's talked about the seeds becoming a plant. He's talked about the fact that they're earthly bodies. Like the animal bodies, our bodies, and so forth. They're heavenly bodies. And so he's already talked about this with different pictures and images. He's going to bring on another one in this passage, which is putting on clothing. Somehow, in a mysterious way that we don't completely understand, we're going to put on, as if we were putting on clothing, the resurrection body. That's what he says. This perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. And when that happens, when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then something happens. And then we see... That after this transformation from the perishable body to the imperishable body, Paul turns and talks to death directly. It's like it's a dramatic technique sometimes. When you take something that isn't a person and you talk as if they are a person. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had something? Usually it's negative, you know. You talk about, you know, okay, well, David says it in the Old Testament. He says, soul, why are you so worried, right? Worry, and he addresses it directly. Well, the same thing here. He looks death in the eye, and he addresses it, and he actually taunts death. Imagine that. Imagine that. That's the boldness and the confidence he had that there would be a resurrection of the dead that would stamp out death forever. Notice what he says. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's the title of today's message. Oh, death, where's your victory? See, death has been has been taunting the human race. The human race lives in fear of death. To the average person, they would say that death conquers life because it ends life, you see. But, but Christ's resurrection flips that around and actually life conquers death. The resurrection conquers death itself. He says, where's your victory, death? It's no longer because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death stings now it's because of sin. But he says, where is it? Where is your sting? I don't see it. I don't feel it anymore. He taunts death in view of the victory that Christ achieved when he conquered death at the resurrection. And verses 16 and 56 and 57 show that Christ's victory is complete. 
It's complete. Why do I say it's complete? Because it encompasses sin, death, and the law. All of which were, were in cahoots with one another to convict us and to kill us and so forth. He says that Jesus Christ's resurrection has wiped all that out. It's a complete victory. A victory over sin, over death, over the curse of the law. And then he talks about that gratitude that we sang about this morning. Give thanks. That always will pour forth from the hearts of those who understand the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then finally, verse 58, takes our future resurrection and links it into the victorious life that we're called to live now. The Bible talks about that. We'll see that next week. It talks about the fact that because of the resurrection of Christ, we can live in that victory right now. We can live in eternal life right now. And he encourages us to do that in verse 58. He focuses on the work that the Lord has given us to do. That has great meaning because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. All right, so that's a brief overview of the basic flow of verses 50 to 58. So let's get started now on taking this passage one verse at a time. We'll see how far we get today. That'll set us up for the conclusion next week. Or maybe in two weeks, we'll have to see. It doesn't matter. You, you, you can read it. And What we do when we gather together is just have this concentrated time when we have no distractions and we can focus on it. And the gift that I've been given allows, um, allows us to see some of the richness in it that maybe at first glance you may miss. That's why we gather together. But you, every day of the week, you know, get the Bible out and read it. You know, um, you can... I've covered this in the past, but maybe you want to read 1 Corinthians completely this week just to get the overall picture and see how, ask yourself a question. How does chapter 1 relate to the resurrection? How does chapter 2 relate to the resurrection and so forth? How does what Paul is telling them about stopping the conflicts and stopping the sinning relate to the resurrection and the work of the Lord that we are to be abounding in? So, Let's start in verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood, that's a euphemism for a human person in a fleshly body, cannot inherit, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We're going to see what the kingdom of God is here. It may not be what you think it is, but we'll talk about that. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. It doesn't work. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. You can't take a body that's designed for earth and bring it into the heavens and think that it's going to function as a heavenly body. They're separate. Just like the body of a cow is different from the body of a star. Flesh and blood, again, refers to people. More than just flesh and blood, it is really an expression that's used in the Old Testament. And even today, for people in these bodies, okay, our present mortal bodies, but it's the person. The person in a fleshly, mortal, perishable body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so what is this kingdom of God? Well, inheriting the kingdom of God here refers to inheriting the eternal kingdom in the future. Eternal, I'm going to stress that. The eternal kingdom of God. See, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That is different from the future earthly kingdom with Christ ruling from Jerusalem. All right, so there's the earthly kingdom in the millennial reign. Christ rules on earth from Jerusalem. Then there's something else called the eternal kingdom of God. With God sovereign over everything, God will be over all things. It's that that is being talked about here in verse 50. Again, The eternal, heavenly kingdom of God the Father. God the Father reigns and occurs after the millennial reign of Christ. See, that's a confusion. People will read this passage and think that it's talking about the millennial kingdom. But it's not. It's talking about the eternal kingdom of God the Father. Eternal. Not a thousand years, but forever. The forever kingdom in heaven, right? We're talking about heavenly bodies. Right? So it's not an earthly, it's a heavenly kingdom. Okay. Occurs after the millennial reign of Christ. Christ will come back, reign on earth for a thousand years, 
in the kingdom where Israel will receive all of its promises. And then that will end. And then there will be one final conflict. And then Christ will take care of all the enemies of God. And then at the end, we've already seen this. We're going to go to a passage in just a moment. You can go to there now if you want. We've already been here back in verse 23 where it talks about Jesus then handing over, remember the kingdom to his father? Well, we'll read the passage and you can see what I'm talking about. The kingdom of God the Father, the eternal kingdom, occurs after, after the millennial reign of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. But each in his own order. This is the order of resurrection, remember. Christ, the first fruits. He's already risen from the dead. He's the first of the harvest. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. That's us, by the way. Then comes the end. Well, what is the end in view there? When he hands over, when Christ hands over the kingdom. He's been reigning, but then he's, all the enemies have been, have been subdued, and then he hands over the kingdom to who? Our God and Father. We forget that part. You see, in our eschatology, we talk, you know, if you're on the ball and you study the Old Testament prophets and you really take Revelation literally and so forth, you understand really well, Ezekiel, what the millennial kingdom is going to be, and, we, and, and as we should, because there's so much material on it. But we also have to remember that when that's over and all enemies will be destroyed and the last enemy we'll see in a second is death, at that moment, then Christ takes that kingdom that he is sovereign over on earth and he hands it to God the Father. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Notice again, verse 24. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom. Christ hands over the kingdom to our God and Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. All rule, all authority, all power. Whatever rule, authority, or power there is in our lives today, all right, that will all be abolished. It will all be done with. All will be under the Lord Jesus Christ. All things will be under his feet. God is going to say, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. But that's going to happen. Well, when that happens, what happens? Again, in verse 25, he, Christ, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Look at verse 26, back to our subject. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. It will be completely abolished from humanity. There will no longer be any death at all. Now, that has to be after when the great white throne judgment, because there's a lot of death, right? I mean, everybody whose his name is not written in the Lamb's book of life is going to die the second death. Well, that's death. It hasn't been abolished yet. It has to be after that. And it is, right? Notice, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. God the Father has all things put in subjection under Christ's feet first. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it's evident that he is accepted. It's not the same as he who put all things, God the Father, in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to Christ, okay, that'll be at the end of the millennial reign, after all the enemies have been defeated, when that happens, then the Son himself will be subjected to the one God the Father who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. And that will happen for all of eternity. Everything will be back to where it was before the fall. All right? Everything. And so God the Father now is the one who is ruling all in all. That's the kingdom that's in view in verse 50. Here again, the end in verse 24, it refers to the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. We're going to see that vision in a minute. All right, There will be a new Jerusalem, a heavenly Jerusalem that will come on down. That's the end. That's the end of the story of human history. Is when the new Jerusalem comes down. The new heaven and the new earth and the Lamb and the Father will rule and then There will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. That's the end. That's the end. Isn't it a great end of this? By the way, it's the end of the Bible. All right. What we're we're describing, what I'm describing here, happens in the Bible in Revelation 21 and 22. Okay. The things that are described 
about the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem are only really described there. The prophets talk about the millennial kingdom and hints at the fact that there's something after that, right? That, that, for that will never end. But that here in verses t- chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation, we see it in all its glory. All right. So again, the end here in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 24 re- refers to that new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And Christ reigns until the eternal kingdom of God is established. Well, let's go right over now to Revelation 21. Keeping our places, of course, in 1 Corinthians 15. But let's go forward to the end of the story. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Revelation 20 ends with the great white throne judgment. when, When all... Human beings that are not saved go before Jesus Christ and His throne. And because their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, they unfortunately will all be sent to the lake of fire. And they'll be, they'll be joining there, Satan and all the fallen angels. So you see that? So a lot of the enemies are taken care of at the great white throne judgment, finally. But there's one that remains, you see. And that's death itself. All right, Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city. Here it comes, the new Jerusalem. Where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? It's coming from heaven. Can you imagine this when it happens? The new Jerusalem. And I'll tell you, it's massive. All right, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. The new Jerusalem is made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He, God, will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them, and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, complete victory over death. There will no longer be any mourning, any crying, any pain, for the first things have all passed away. Now we learn in verse 50, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50, what do we learn? We've seen this great vision of the, of the eternal heavenly kingdom of God the Father. But then let's go back to verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood, hey, we just saw the new Jerusalem. We all want to be there, but here's the problem. Flesh and blood, all right, us and our bodies now cannot inherit that. Cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Because the perishable can't inherit the imperishable. It's interesting, I'll just point this out. I didn't have it in my notes. But if you look at the first book of the Bible, Genesis... And you watch and you see what happens when Adam falls. One of the things that happens at the end of chapter 3. Chapter 3 is, a, is the bad chapter. I mean, all the Bible is good, but in terms of the human race, what happens there is when Adam and the woman fall. And then the curses comes on upon Adam and the woman. And then the curse comes down upon all of the earth. And then at the end, it talks about once they've been banished from, from the Garden of Eden. Guess what happens? Remember what was in the Garden tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we still have that, and the tree of life. Well, the fact is that imperishable bodies cannot, perishable bodies cannot inherit the imperishable, eternal life. And that is vividly demonstrated by the fact that God puts angels with flaming torches in front of the tree of life so that no one can get there. All right. Well, guess what we see in Revelation 21 and 22? We won't see it here, but if you read ahead, the tree of life comes back. It comes back at the very end of the Bible. All right. So that tells you the difference between the perishable and the imperishable. So I, I, Genesis, I'm gonna jump, I want to tell you something funny that happened. I saw on, I, what I tell you never to do, I did yesterday. I was on Facebook. One of the things I saw, I've got some, some friends from high school and Rhode Island. And you know about Rhode Island. It's the most liberal state just about in the whole country. Well, these people have inherited this liberalism strain, and they had a picture. Um, Most of these people can't stand the church, but they had a picture in front of a church with a sign, 
And it was talking about wearing your masks. Like, I don't know when the church got into the business with, you know, the CDC of telling people to wear masks. I guess I tell them to, so I'm guilty. But, but it had a sign in the front. And it said, please wear your mask. High Genesis 316. You know, hygiene. Ha ha. Very clever. But I was, but then I said, wait a minute. They're talking about Genesis 316 here. That can't be good. Why? What chapter is it in? Genesis 3. Well, you know what that verse is? It talks about the curse of the woman. In pain you shall bear. And I'm thinking to myself, do they even know anything about the Bible anymore? They would never, I mean, there's a lot of verses in Genesis. All you need was high Genesis. You didn't need 316. Eh. Anyway, it's discouraging. Uh, so, nobody who's alive when Christ comes back, nobody who is dead at Christ's coming, can inherit the kingdom as they are. All right, clearly those who have died cannot inherit the kingdom as they are. But what about the people who are living? Well, they can't either because they're imperishable bodies still. Now, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's impossible, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So what has to happen? Now, we read in chapter 21 that actually people do inherit the eternal kingdom of God. How can that be? Only one way. They must be changed by God into bodies built for that eternal heavenly kingdom. To have life, a heavenly life in the eternal presence of God. That's how. Verse 51. Behold. He brings the mystery on the scene. I I tell you mystery. I'm I'm about to reveal something to you that's going to blow your mind that's never been seen before. Nobody's ever heard of this before. Wasn't described in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets didn't know anything about this. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed. What man says is impossible will happen. By the miracle working power of God. Never, never underestimate that. When you get to the point where you see something in the word of God. And you say to yourself it's impossible. You better study omnipotence again. To see that God is capable of anything. I mean, that was what Abraham understood when he placed um, Isaac on that altar. He said as much in the book of Hebrews anyway, where it says he knew that if he died physically, that God had the power to bring him back. Like Jesus had the power to bring Lazarus and summon him forth from the grave. God's power is unlimited. That's what we mean by that fancy word, omnipresence. All power. All right. And Paul tells us of a mystery. What's a mystery? Well, in the New Testament anyway, a mystery refers to something which was formerly hidden. From everybody, by the way. Including the angels, by the way. Formerly hidden. Undiscoverable by man. By any creature. But now, and now in the letter of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, it's been brought to light. How? One way only. By divine revelation. Paul didn't come up with this either. No man could ever come up with this. Only God in his revelation. See, see, if you look back, now the Greeks, you know, they thought they were the greatest intellects of all time. And maybe they were, I don't know. They couldn't come up with this. They were scoffing at the idea that somebody could be raised from the dead. Well, why? Because they didn't understand how it could possibly be that a perishable body would become imperishable. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Brought to light by the Lord's revelation. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. By the way, we've seen this before, but sleep has, is a euphemism, an expression that was in use in the Bible for death. For death. I mean, I mean, uh, Paul, I mean, Jesus said the same thing to the apostles, speaking of Lazarus. He said, Lazarus is asleep, and they didn't get it. So he says, he's dead. So they got it, right? means death. Now, we here, a lot of people think this, but Paul was convinced he would be among the generation. And they use that, by the way, to kind of disparage the word of God. See, Paul was wrong. Well, that doesn't mean that. It means that we is just the church. Those of us who are alive, whoever that may be, whenever that may be, that's the we here. I want you to notice that the body is not abandoned. He doesn't, God doesn't throw out the design of the body and say, well, that's it. That was nice for a while. No, it'll just be changed. The idea of a body, what a human body is, will change. That's what it's talking about here. 
Well, what's the mystery? The mystery is, is that both the living and the dead will undergo the required transformation by the mysterious power of God. So in other words, the dead, now he's already talked about the dead being, being planted and then the tree comes up or the plant, remember that, the seed? And so he's already used that imagery for those who have died. What's going to happen with those who are alive? It's the, it's the same power, but if you think about it, it's really a different process. I could use that word. I mean, it's one thing to have somebody who died and then to construct a completely fresh body, not, not anything to do with the physical elements that were in the first one. That's one process. Right? Just like a seed goes into the ground and dies. But it's quite another thing to take something, somebody who's alive still and transform their body into a resurrection body. I mean, in some respects, that's even more miraculous when you think about it. Imagine what will be, those of us who are alive, imagine what that experience will be like. You know, I mean, if I'm, if, you know, even if the rapture occurs tonight, I still got aches and pains and worries and problems with my body and I don't like what it looks like anymore and gray hair, I'm thinking of shaving my beard because it's all white and, you know. And then imagine in an instant, you know, in an instant, what I'll look like. Brad Pitt at 33, maybe. Over my face, but whatever. In an instant. I mean, this is the kind of thing that happens in dreams, one way or the other, you know. I'm having dreams all the time that I can walk and run. Well, I can't, not in this body, at least not yet. But one day I'll have a body that can run, walk, leap, fly. And that can happen in an instant. It's impossible to really contemplate that. All right. That's the mystery. Both the dead and the living. And again, the living will have our bodies, I'll say our, be optimistic here, our bodies transformed without having to die. Without having to die. That's the mystery. The seed, think about a seed that hasn't been buried yet. And yet, in an instant, God takes that seed and makes it into an evergreen tree, a hundred feet in the air. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. It's the kind of thing, in a way, if you think about, it's also related to when, at the wedding feast at Cana, you know, when God, Jesus, took a process that normally takes like three years, which is what, to put grape seed into the ground and have the vines grow and have it trimmed and pruned and all the things that have to happen and then take the grape out, the grapes, a lot of them, and tread on the grapes and then produce the liquid and then have that, you know, age for it. Yeah, it's a process. What did Jesus do? Omnipotence, from water to wine, like that. That's what's going to happen with our bodies. That's what's going to happen with our bodies. Okay, so the question, if if you're thinking about this, and you keep thinking about this, you think about the fact that, okay, wow, this is great. When's it going to happen? Man, I get that question all the time. When's it going to happen? And I always say, tonight. Because my guess is as good as any. (laughs) Right? Anyway, we're not supposed to know. All right? But it's a, it's a natural question to ask. I mean, this is such a stupendous, unheard of event. I want to see it. When's it going to happen? And will it be a gradual thing? You know, will it be like a few at a time? Or will the Lord kind of give us in different stages? Maybe he'll make us a baby again. I mean, will it be gradual or not? Verse 52. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And those who are alive, Christians, will be changed. It will happen with startling speed. The power of God can transform anything he wants to in an instant. In an instant. Think about that. Think about the fact that in the book of Ephesians, it says that the power of God is available to every one of us by faith. I'm not not talking about faith healing. But I am talking about the fact that there are things that God does with his power that are miraculous that almost everybody misses. Don't miss it. And that was the great one will be the resurrection. Now, I want to give you one Greek word today, that word moment. Whoops. It's atomoi, not attaboy, but atomoi. What, word, what English word maybe can you see there if you look at it? What? Yeah, atomic, atom. Yeah. Well, it means that which can no longer be divided. What does that mean? There's nothing smaller. 
Right? Isn't that what they thought? Adam, now we know the scientists know more about electrons and all kinds of other stuff, quarks. I don't even understand it. But, but in, in the Greek times, they used that word to mean the smallest possible unit of matter cannot be divided anymore. Atom. Interesting. Atom, atom. That probably doesn't mean anything. It's interesting. Yeah, so as an atom was the smallest unit of matter, so this moment that Paul's talking about is the smallest possible unit of time. Today we might say that it'll happen faster than a nanosecond. We have that word today. One billionth of a second. It'll be faster than that. All right. Now he says, notice he says the twinkling of an eye, not the blinking of an eye. See, humans might talk about in the blink of an eye. Don't we say that? as like the fastest possible thing. No, it's not the blink of an eye. That's slow compared to the twinkling of an eye. In other words, the twinkling of an eye, if you think about it, how fast does the twinkling of an eye go? Anybody know? Anybody want to guess? The speed of light. Twinkle. Just like a brightness in the eye. You don't have to do anything. It's just your eye is there and there's a little twinkle. Faster than the blinking of an eye. It's slow. Blinking of an eye is like the, the tortoise, and the twinkling of an eye is like the hare. You know, no comparison. The last trumpet, let's talk about that just for a moment. A lot of people want to take the last trumpet and say it's the seventh trumpet of the book of Revelation. Now that is about the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. If you know anything about the, you can read it in the Bible, what happens at the seventh trumpet of Revelation, it's total disaster. No mention of resurrection at all. It's during the tribulation period, the absolute worst time. So throw that idea out. No, it's not that. Trumpet, in, in, in here, the word in the Greek is a military term. Think about the Roman army. Think about them being in camp somewhere. Think about the fact that all of a sudden they're aroused, they're sleeping, and they're aroused by the sound of a trumpet. And what do they do? They wake up fall in line, and they march away. Well, at the resurrection, guess what's going to happen? The dead will hear the sound of a trumpet, the last one. See the last of what? And what will happen? They will rise out of their sleep. They will get in line, and they will fly away. They'll fly away. Again, in the same way, oops, the last trumpet sounds. Guess what it marks the end of? It's called the last trumpet. It's the end of the church age, you see? We're soldiers now, right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. But at the last trumpet, it'll be over. See, it's kind of flipped around. Well, that's the trumpet here. Now, it's marking the end of something. It's the end of the church age, when we'll no longer need to even be soldiers. Okay? And it's a signal, not for soldiers to wake from sleep, but for the dead to rise. The dead to rise. Now, I want you to notice something else, and I, I just want to mention this briefly because it's really not a key thing, but I want you to understand something. Notice that Paul here does not give an outline of the events of the rapture. You know, if you want to study that, that's 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. You know, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, these are things that Paul doesn't mention in our passage. He doesn't talk even about the coming of the Lord here. Isn't that interesting? If you look at our passage, he doesn't mention the coming of the Lord. He doesn't mention the Lord descending from heaven with a shout. He doesn't mention a voice of an archangel. He does mention the trumpet. And he doesn't talk about being caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Why? Why would he not mention those things? Well, for one thing, he does mention them in another book. But for another thing, he is totally laser-focused on one thing. Notice, in a moment... The twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Remember, his laser focus here is the resurrection itself. And that's what he's talking about here. He will leave the details of what they call eschatology or the events that occur at the moment of the rapture. He'll leave that for the letter to the Thessalonians. Okay. Here he just makes it real simple. He simply states that the transformation will occur at a future instantaneous time when the last trumpet sounds. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. Verse 53. 
For this perishable must put on the imperishable. And this mortal must put on the immortal. Immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable. When? That instant moment of time. And when this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about, will come to pass what the prophet said. Come about a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. When will that happen? At the rapture. Instantaneously. Okay. For us. For us. Now, it's interesting, even though what he's doing here, he's basically describing this transformation one more time. He's described it already. Perishable to imperishable. Mortal, that which dies to immortal. That which will never die. And he adds something. He adds the metaphor of putting on clothing. We're going to end this, but to put on clothing, you think about it. In fact, he's going to say in 2 Corinthians how we're in this tent. It's It's not the greatest but we're there, but when we die and we're, and we're with the Lord and then he comes back, then we're going to have a magnificent building, you know, resurrection body. In any event, it does suggest that there's a continuous thing going on here. In other words, if you're putting on, you're putting on, on something. Well, that something is the person. It's the person. So there's something that stays the same. People wonder, is it a completely different? No, it's not completely different because it's still a human body, number one. And number two, you'll still be you. We'll just put on new clothes. And to put on means to bear the image of. We will bear the image of Christ. That's what we'll put on. It'll be put on us, but we'll have those clothes on. The perishable will bear the image one day of the imperishable. Well, the way of saying it is the body will change, but it remains the same person. Just like Jesus. When he came out of the grave, the body is totally different, but the person is the same. He's still the God-man. All right. All right. Well, we didn't make it even all the way through the end of verse 54 today, as I originally planned, but that's okay. We will just, what do we do? What do you think we'll do if we didn't get as far as we, I thought we were? Huh? Continued, to be continued. Like Batman, you know. Will Batman get out of the clamshell alive? You know? We'll pick it up next Sunday. Yeah, that'll be great. It gets greater and greater as the passage moves along. So I'm excited to, to, read, to share the end of it with all of us. All right, let's close and get ready for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, we thank you. It's beyond words, the gratitude that we have in our hearts the things you have done and will do for us, all by grace. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. All of this happens because of what he's done and through him. So, Father, today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and once again, we spend some time thinking about the death of the Lord, help us to also understand that this death was like the seed going into the ground, but then came up on the third day as a resurrection. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to invite the ushers now. Please pass out the communion elements. This time around, I'm going to do it right. Remember the last, I don't know if you remember the last week. I pulled the whole thing off and I left the host on top and couldn't get it. And Believe me, if there's a way to mess something up, I will find it. Well, I missed this last month, but there's actually a scripture on this little plastic. I don't know if you noticed that. Pretty cool. That's because last month I forgot to take this plastic off first. That's probably why I see it. When we eat the bread and drink the cup, we remember the Lord Jesus Christ. We proclaim his death until he comes again. In other words, we proclaim his death until... Until what we've been studying happens. When he transforms our mortal, corrupt, perishable bodies into bodies like his own at the rapture. Until then, we celebrate the Lord's Supper where we bring into remembrance his death. Okay. Now you may have picked up on this, but it's been a while since we were at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians. But the teaching 
of 1 Corinthians. Now, there's, at the beginning, there's sort of more general material that he deals with related to what's happening. At the end, he talks once again about what's happening with them and the collection. But in between, there's a marvelous, amazing set of teaching. Well, it begins somewhere and it ends somewhere else. You see, the teaching in 1 Corinthians starts with the cross. It starts with the cross because that's what they didn't get. They didn't understand that at the cross, we're all humbled. At the cross, we're all the same. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Okay. Then, guess what? He moves through all of the trials, all of the things he had to correct, and great teaching along the way. Marvelous teaching along the way also. Spiritual gifts, love. And then we get to the last chapter of teaching, chapter 15. In chapter 1, he starts off with the teaching by saying, the word of the cross, the word of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We're being saved because it will be complete at the rapture. Our bodies will be transformed. And that's the end, where we are now. I tell you mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. I just love this passage. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this happens, when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, that happened with Christ 2,000 years ago. It's the gospel message that Christ died for our sins. We bring into remembrance his death, the word of the cross, which is foolishness to those who are perishing. He was buried. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. So he's already had his victory over death. All right? We, do, we haven't yet. And that's why we, we, we bring into remembrance his death until he comes when we receive our resurrection. Death is swallowed up in victory. And then we see what he says, for as long as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I don't know whether you recall, but in chapter 11, Paul delivers this message of the Lord's Supper as as an antidote, as a corrective to selfish and rude behavior that the Corinthians were involved in at that time. See, the, the cross, the death of Christ, okay, is the answer to our sinfulness. It's the answer. And so as long as he was dealing with just terrible things that were going on over a sinful nature, he's got them, he's keeping them at the cross. It's only after he moves into love and the spiritual gifts that he's then ready to bring on the resurrection. Well, we're about to proclaim the Lord's death again. We're going to eat the bread and we're going to drink the cup. Now, I've chosen a couple of verses in the book of Hebrews as our portion today, coming out of 1 Corinthians. And it's chapter 2, and it's verses 14 to 15. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same. So that through death, notice this, he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. God's solution to our being in these bodies of death, fallen, was to allow his son, God in the flesh, to experience death on our behalf. That is how he defeated death. Amazing. Again, it's a mysterious thing. So the power of the the death, Christ might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. That's the worst slavery. Much, much worse than being enslaved in this life. But to be enslaved with the fear of death is worse. Jesus tasted death for all of us, but he wasn't defeated at all. He abolished death instead. 
He rendered powerless the one who had the power of death, namely the devil. He took it away. No longer will you be able to put people in fear on the basis of death because I conquered it. And anyone who believes in me will conquer it. Already has, in a sense, but literally. Yeah, he set us free in his resurrection from the fear and the power of death. And the amazing thing is that he offers that freedom to everyone. And just like we're going to be transformed in an instant, you can be transformed from unbeliever to saint in an instant also by simply believing in Jesus Christ. So let's resolve today that we will live as those who have been freed from the fear of death. Let us lead victorious lives. Let us people want that freedom and, and we can tell them how to get it. And that all happens when we proclaim the death of the Lord. As it is written in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do that in remembrance of me. We're drinking it, we're remembering the Lord. Let's do that right now together. Or as often as you do this, we do it every month, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the solution to the problem of death and sin and the the curse of the law when you eat his body and drink his blood in terms of spiritually through the bread and the wine. You're making a proclamation. If somebody were coming today and didn't know Jesus, when they saw us eating the bread and drinking the cup, they would wonder the significance of it. Can you tell me why you do that? And hopefully we'll be able to tell them about the good news, about the death of Christ and his resurrection from the dead. Till he comes, that's what we're all about. All right, let's close together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've allowed us to be a part of today. We thank you, Father, for the heart-rendering, life-changing knowledge that you've put in your word about one day our being resurrected from the dead with bodies like Christ and we will meet him in the clouds and be with him always. Father, we thank you that while we're here, we have have a job to do. We we have a calling on our life, whatever it might be. We know that in, in view of the resurrection of the dead, we ought to do it with all our hearts, all our mights, because none of it's in vain since one day we will be raised and be with your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we just thank you for all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The end. Thursday night, we gather together again. All right. We have Bible study every Thursday. We are talking about something else that is totally related to this, which is the fact that anybody who's a believer in Christ is secure in our salvation forever. That instant I talked about when somebody believes, from then forward, it's an absolute guarantee that they'll have their resurrection body, that they'll have eternal life, that they have been declared righteous in God's eyes forever. That's what we're looking at. We're taking our time on it because we're looking at all the places where it is so that anybody who would wonder can go to about 200 places in the New Testament and find the answer again and again and again and again. Neither life nor death, nor angels or principalities or powers or height or anything will ever come between us and the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we're, that's what we're about on Thursday nights. 6.30, we're on Skype. If you don't know how to get onto that, just email Mark at mark at lbible.org. I want to briefly mention to you that um, we don't tithe, as you all know. 
But uh, just as a reminder that that part of our part of our gift to be part of the body of Christ is to give when we can. And uh, if you if you want to give for the preaching of the word of God, by the way, that's the key function of the church. We're the pillar of the truth. You know, if we do nothing else, we need to do that. Okay, um, not that we're supposed to not do anything else. And in fact, there are other ways in which you can be financially supportive of the body. It's not just here, but this is an important. This is where it actually starts. Okay, because when people are built up with the Word of God, then they're able to put their focus on others. Like if you're always worried about your own death, right? How much mind space do you have? For the poor, for the unbeliever, right? Not a lot, but once you're secure, now you're freed up. That's the importance of the word. All right. We, uh, you know, we have different ways. The box in the back, old-fashioned snail mail, or instantaneously on the web. Either way you want to do it is fine. All right, just one more thing. Um, If you have any questions, this is a subject that can spawn a lot of questions. Because it's so significant and so amazing. So if you have any, or on anything else about, about well, the Bible and our life in Christ, you're always welcome to email me. All right? Pastor at org. Pastor at lbible.org. All right. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just once again want to thank you for all your gifts. We want to thank you that now that we are your children, you will never withhold us any good thing. We thank you, Father, that we are no longer under condemnation, that we have been empowered to live the life of your Son through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we can look death in the eye and tell him he no longer has any, any, any hold over any of us. And we thank you for all of this. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, with that, you're dismissed, and uh, enjoy what remains of this weekend. And uh, keep praying for the church and on this weekend our country as well. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Whoa, you are the peace in my troubled sea.